to come here under any misconceptions that this is going to be an uplifting 45 minutes. <laughs> uh, you, you're, you see, the reason is because I'm getting a, a sense of fantastic power. I mean, real power this time. Genuine power. Would you believe it, Joe, that I got a call the other day from a guy who said, yeah, very important agency. And he says, we heard a tremendous talent on your show the other night. I said, you did? Because, <laughs> you know, there's only, there's only one person on my show. You know what? It could even be fake, you know? And he says, yes, we heard a tremendous talent. And we would like to know where we can get in touch with that talent. I said, what do you mean? You're talking to that talent. He says, no, no. He says, I want to hear, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna hear where I can get in touch with that, with, that, with that fantastic talent that you had the other night. That, that, that talent that, that, that sang along with the... William Tell Overture. That's that magnificent talent that none of us over here at the agency have stopped talking about ever since we first heard it. I said, my God, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about Shepard's... his famous pet. He says, that's my pet. He says, what do you mean your pet? I says, that's Clarence, the singing chicken. <laughs> Oh, my God. 
Like, for example, you play uh, The Stars and Stripes Forever with a number two Ticonderoga pencil laid across your top teeth, right? You know this thing you keep doing? Or you have a... Uh, one kid I met, for example, at uh, up in Rochester, at the Rochester RPI, Rochester Polytechnic Institute. Uh, what did he do? His entire life was based around the fact that he had developed a technique with his mouth that exactly recreated the sound of a drop of water dropping out of a leaky faucet. He could redo it. It was eerie. Well, not taking him ten years to work on this ever since he was five. And now he, he, he was the best water drop man in the business. He says his mother was out of his... You know, she, she used to come in and say, well, if you don't stop that, I'm going out of my mind. He'd sit there for hours, you know, with the boat. He'd go with the water. Sounds pretty good, but you should have heard this guy. Well, now, see, I encouraged him. I says, you're liable to become a tycoon, a billionaire. Nobody knows the day when you might be the only guy in the entire United States that can imitate a drop of water. And that day, they're going to all be sorry for what they said about you, and they're all going to go around pretending they encouraged you. Well, let me tell you something. If my mother heard this show tonight, she'd be out of her mind. She'd be, out, she'd be climbing her bird. She'd be flipping out of the tree. And you know why? From the time I was five, I used to sit in the kitchen and go, Somehow I got, I, I love to imitate chickens. Why do I get satisfaction from this? Does President Nixon sit around and imitate chickens? No. Does Johnny Carson sit around and imitate chickens? No. Does Shepard sit in his office and go, Yes. That is what caused the entire sales department to have a total lack of respect and faith in Shepard. By the way, this can come in very handy, this sound. I will never forget the fantastic moment when I was in this platoon of guys. We're 25 of us, see? That's about a platoon, 25, 28, roughly, Joe. Sweating. Yeah, we had three squads, eight guys to a squad. And uh, we were out on a 20-mile march. We had this first lieutenant who was an exec. See, he was not the CO. He was the exec. And he was the first lieutenant you know, with the silver bars. And it was raining. It was raining from the time we left camp. And now it's about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and we left camp. And so that they, before dawn, even was considering cracking. I mean, that's the way the Army does things, you know. <laughs> I don't know what the hell it is with the Army, but they, they just got this thing that, that, that daylight hours, you know, time means nothing to them, you see. <laughs> nothing. So at 3.30 in the morning, you're blowing whistles. And uh, we're, you know, we were in these tents. I remember, you know, the, the whistle went off one morning and got me. I was so asleep. I was asleep so hard. Have you ever been asleep? You know, it's like you've been shot, you know. And I was asleep so hard that when the whistle went off, the guy blew it off right in front of my tent. You know, there was about 50 little tents, you know, pup tents. He blew it in front of my tent. And, well, <laughs> you know, the whistle went off. And I jumped up and stood up. Well, that's in a three-and-a-half-foot-high pup tent. 
And, and uh, I mean, the poles are flying. Goldberg is under the rest of the tent. You know, the two guys with tents, they had Goldberg. Says, what the hell are you doing? What are you? And the tent fell in on him. So there I am standing up with a tent hanging off my, my head. Well, you know... You can you can you can push it too hard, but this this on this particular occasion it was just a little much. That after four and a half trillion billion miles out into the woods and it was raining and raining and by the way it was also hot it was hot and raining, dusty and you know it can be raining and dusty at the same time it was doing it. Well, we're about 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 four o'clock in the afternoon. We've been on the road now since about maybe four o'clock that morning. And uh, all we had to eat was one K ration, and I could feel myself actually, you know, actually getting skinnier and skinnier and sweating into my shoes on this 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 long forced march. When all of a sudden this first lieutenant turns around at all of us and he hollers, "Gas! Gas!" Well, now that's the thing they do in the army. You know, do you, have you ever heard them do that? Gas! That means you put your gas mask on, see, and you got, got to do an eight seconds flat, see. So up, up, up comes the gas mask, pulls it on. Well, now. At that point, uh, a gas mask. I, I, have you ever had a gas mask on? Well, they ain't easy to breathe through. And they're hot. That's the thing that gets you about them. They're hot. And what's worse is that almost all of us that morning had shaved with cold water. Because there was no hot water at 3.30 in the morning. Yes, I know, Jerry. We all of us shaved that morning with cold water. And, and, and now, this is a thing, a little subtle thing that may not have occurred to you. When you shave with cold water, if you're a man, you know what the story is. You shave with cold water, especially with a blade. We've been out in the field now for about eight weeks, no PX, and I was shaving with a with a razor blade. <laughs> that you could you could seriously you could seriously run it right across your hand. You couldn't have cut yourself with it. I mean, it was a razor blade that was made out of like sponge rubber, you know. <laughs> and so when you shaved, you you were just you weren't actually shaving. You were you were literally pulling each whisker out by the roots. That's it. Yeah. Well, we had a shave because every morning we stood we stood uh, an inspection. See, so I'm shaving under my neck. Oh, that's great. That's where it really gets you, you know. <coughs> With the cold water, you got the water in the helmet, you know, and you're shaving. Now, they, now you think, well, what's, what's the matter? You use rise aerosol can? No, no, not at all. Eight weeks in the field, and we have to use field equipment and field rations and all the rest of it. So there was a rule that says you couldn't carry around aerosol cans and all that jazz. So we shaved with a bar of soap. Well, now GI soap is not exactly. Uh, it, it's it's it just just ain't exactly uh, palm olive, <laughs> you know, menthol aerosol shaving cream. No way, man! I'll tell you, it was a drag. She, I mean, which reminds me, this is WOR New York, and I'm shaving underneath that. Well, now my skin, everybody's skin, you know, we just you just have this the real sensitive feel, you know, and and your face feels like a gigantic cold sore, you know. In fact, you feel like you're a cold sore with feet walking down there, so we're slogging away, sweat running. You know what sweat does when you're when you're right, you know? No no shaving lotion, right? Well, the sweat is coming down, and these little red things are popping out all over, and then that guy hollers, gas, gas, oh gas. Well, that means you pull this rubber gas mask over your face, which is already like, well, it's already like hamburger. You pull it over. Oh, God, did it burn. Oh, and the sweat, the heat. And then he hollers, gas, double time, that means not only are you got your gas mask on, now you're running like a nut uh, with the gas mask on. Now, it's bad enough, 
You know, it's bad enough just wearing a gas mask, but running after you've been marching for, you know, 2,700,000 miles in the rain and the crud and carrying a 68-pound field pack on you, complete with an M1, which weighs about, oh, maybe 100, 150 pounds, uh, you know. And, uh, by that time, there's nothing in the canteens. We drunk everything in the canteens. And this loud hollers, Forward! Double time! Which means you run. So we're running like hell. <laughs> and everything is jingling up and down. <laughs> and I, my gas mask in the sky is clouding up. Now I can't see anything. <laughs> my skin. <laughs> and then, then he suddenly hollers. He says, help! 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 Which translated means slow up for five and a half seconds while I get my breath, and then we will start running again. Well, we slow up to a walk, and I can see all these guys with steam rising out of their heads, you know, and little blood dripping underneath from where they cut themselves now, and the gas mask has opened it up. <laughs> and ahead of me, I can see Goldberg's pack is slowly coming apart, and his shoes are falling out, and the rain is coming down, when all of a sudden, out of the crowd, all the gas masks, in the silence, as the lieutenant looked us over, muffled by the gas mask, came the unmistakable sound. gas mask, everybody looks exactly the same, like a demented Martian. I mean, that's one thing about gas masks. Great leveler. Put a gas mask on Lindsay, and he looks like anybody else. Why, oh boy. <laughs> I'll tell you. And, and out of this crowd of guys, you could hear <laughs> muffled by a gas mask, but unmistakably the sound of a chicken. Now, there are subtle things. There's one sound that a chicken does when he's about to lay an egg. That's a chicken laying an egg. That's a chicken doing something else. <laughs> well, that has meanings in the army. Hey, uh, Joe, would you please prepare a little, uh, nice little uh, commercial there for me, please? You have a commercial, please? Hit the button. Do you suppose there lived anywhere across this fabulous country a family that has never eaten at Mama Leone's? Maybe there is, and don't you feel sorry for them? Never heard the noise and laughter of our nightly crowd? Never saw their kids light up at the very color and excitement of our decor? Never saw our statues? Never saw our endless wine cellar? And not only that, they probably never saw a parade of food like Mama serves. Oh, sure, they've had Italian food before, but so what? They haven't had Mama's antipasto. They haven't had the cheeses and rich hot bread and the enormous desserts that Mama serves. And finally, they never, ever had main courses that everything else was built around. We seriously suggest if you have a pathetic friend who's never been to Mama Leone's, change his life. Make a reservation for him immediately and let him see what a great Italian restaurant can be like. Take him to Mama Leone's, where strong appetites are met and conquered. Mama Leone's, 239 West 48th Street, Judson 65151. Oh, Mama Leone. <laughs> I'm sorry, Joe. <laughs> hey, uh, listen, uh, buddy. Do you suppose there lived anywhere across this fabulous... Oh, hey, hey, cut it out there. We, you encourage that guy. He's going to go on and on. I mean, you know, for heaven's sakes, fella. Once is enough, I mean... I mean, I admit you're emotional about Mama Leone, but don't sit on my knee and keep yelling at us, please. 
Friends, get set for the rugged winter driving ahead during pick a pair time at your local General Tire headquarters. You just take your pick. You walk up and say, bark, bark, bark. no, I mean, you walk up and say, <laughs> winter tires start as low as thirty-seven ninety a pair. Yes, sir. And uh, regular tires, regular tires. I'm sorry, you're from the Bronx. You have to say regular. And regular tires start as low as thirty-five ninety-five per pair. So you go down to your General Tire dealer. Yes, sir. And you look for the big red G, General Tire headquarters. And don't forget their fantastic slogan, you go in snow or general pays the toll. And uh, if you are in the Bronx, let's see if I have a goodie in the Bronx. No, I got a good one in the Brooklyn. So uh, you visit uh, Bob Malenga at General Tire Service, 472 Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn. Say, I want regular tires. You know, he can. He speaks very good Brooklynese over there. Now, let's see. Uh, we have... Uh, Gramercy Park closed of 64 West 23rd Street in New York says, Now that you've heard what Gramercy Park has done to the price of men's clothing, watch what happens to you. Every time you pass a suit in the factory store window, you'll ask yourself, Hey, I wonder how such a good-looking suit like that could cost, how much it would cost at Gramercy Park. Mister, the only way to answer that question is to go up and take a look at them suits at Gramercy Park. Go in past that big iron gate. They got an iron gate that closes, and they lock it after you get in there. Boom, you know. There's a guy there who sits there with a helmet on, and he won't let you out until you buy a suit. That's Gramercy Park. And uh, he's doing it for your own for your own good, you know. He knows you should uh, buy a suit there. Gramercy Park. They're open uh, every day of the week, open to 7 p.m., Saturday to 6, Sunday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., and it's Gramercy Park, 64 West 23rd Street, 3rd floor, 64 West 23rd Street in New York, at the sign of the big iron gate. Boom! Wish you give me a little echo chamber there. Can you uh, can can you give me an echo chamber, Joe? Let's try that. Now, now watch. I'll practice old commercial. Hello, 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 hello. Oh, we're working on working on working on working on. Groovy. That's fantastic, Joe. Now, just think what we can work up for Gramercy Park. Go to Gramercy Park and watch for the sign of the big iron gate. <laughs> that's the iron gate closing behind you. Going to buy a new suit of armor across the moat there. Now, let's see. Um, <laughs> somehow, I like the idea of a guy getting uh, getting fitted for a new suit of armor. I mean, you know, can't you just see Sir Mordred standing there? He says, forsooth, it's pinching back here. And uh, the guy's got his uh, acetylene torch out, and he's making a little adjustment there. Uh, here's a spot that says, all tags are to be done by live personalities only. Hey, my live personality, Joe? Okay. Hey, dude. <laughs> Go on over to Shoe Town, because Shoe Town's got it all together for you. You know those far-out Bridgetown flood shoes that the boutiques have up to 30 bucks? Well, Shoe Town's got them. Now dig this. And this is on the copy. So, <laughs> Shoe Town's got the very same Bridgetown floods for only... Little Echo Chamber, Joe. 1288. Oh, that's a fantastic production. Shoe Town, 1288 for Bridgetown floods. In sizes for men, just twelve eighty-eight. Now waiting for you only at the Shoe Town in Lawrence, Long Island, three forty-eight Rockaway Turnpike, or the Shoe Town in Oceanside, Long Island, thirty-five hundred Long Beach Road. And I'm smarter than the average ranger. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> you want to hear more chickens? <laughs> that damn chicken! You know, I'll tell you, it's it's really bugging me because this guy wants me to come over. You know, with the chicken. He says, bring him over. He says. He says, you know, this is a, you know, this this agency uh, says we got no prejudices or biases. I said, well, how about taking them out to lunch? 
You know, the idea of, of uh, you know, old Clarence going out to lunch at the, at the Michael's Pub. You know, they're working a big deal. Swing. He's going to spearhead a campaign. <laughs> hey, you want to hear me do another chicken? How about, uh, you got some uh, good chicken music for me in there? <laughs> what, you told me? He's got to get in his voice now. <laughs> By the way, friends, that chicken that I'm doing there may sound simple to you. All I suggest that if you think it's simple, you take your friend the tape recorder out and you do a little chicken plucking into that tape recorder mic and then play it back and see whether you really feel that it sounds like a chicken. Ain't, ain't so easy. And that's why the guy from the agency's calling. Because he can tell a real chicken when he hears it. That, by the way, is a feeding chicken. All chickens have different sounds they make, see? And you can tell that I spent some time around chickens, haven't you? About three years in the Army, you learn a lot about chickens. I once cleaned 400 of them one time in the in the mess hall at Fort Monmouth. But, uh, you know, you, uh, chickens come, chickens go. But uh, the one thing that remains basic among chickens is the chicken language. Now, you understand, of course, chickens have a what, a, what they call a pecking order. You know what is it, a pecking order, right? You don't? Well, all right, I'll tell you what a pecking order is. That's what happens in your office. Have you noticed that there's a boss in your office? And there's a guy who's right under the boss. And then there's a guy who's right under that. There's a guy under that. And then way down at the end of the line, behind the water cooler, hiding, because you're afraid because Friday it may happen to you, there's you, right? You're at the bottom of the pecking order. Now, that pecking order is immutable. It is part of nature. There is a pecking order among whales. There's a definite pecking order among lions. Oh, listen, that big old lion with the big mane. When he chases the young lions, you know, the... The young male lions figure they're going to take over a little bit of the crowd, you know. They're going to... little hanky-panky there in the bushes with that, that magnificent lion, you know, with Elsa, you know. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> You'd be surprised what happens in lions. So the pecking order is as, is as much a part of nature as the law of gravity. Now, you may not want to accept this, but it is. It is a fact. that they, it's, it's up to you to prove <laughs> that it isn't a fact that in every conceivable living organism, the pecking order is an immutable fact. I mean, no matter what kind of... It, it, the beautiful Everybody has an idea of an idyllic society, you know, where nobody is better than anybody else. That's like dreaming of a world where there just simply isn't any gravity. And you can just fly whenever you want to. You know? <laughs> now, you can dream of that world. Whether it's achievable or not is, well, let's put it this way, at the very least, problematical. Now, uh, the pecking order among chickens is a well-established fact. And the way it works is this. Now, you, you go out, see, and you... Let's just say, for example, you go to 21 different feed stores. If you could find 21 different feed stores in Flushing. Now, if you, if you, uh, if you go to 21 different feed stores and you, you buy 21 different chickens from different feed stores... Now, they don't know each other, right? I mean, theoretically, they, they don't know each other, okay? <laughs> what do you mean? Chickens know each other. Don't think for a minute, you know. Don't be so damn egotistical and think that the only thing that knows anything else is people, you know? The chickens get a, you know, chickens know other chickens. Believe me, they do. So you take 21 chickens, now that's a fact, 
and you put them into your yard together. Instantly, without any hesitation, like the first second you put 21 chickens in that yard, they begin to decide who's the chief chicken. Now, how do they do that? Well, like nature, does everything else. The rough way. So one chicken stands up in the middle of the crowd and goes, bark, 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 bark. That means I'm in charge. Bark, 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 bark. That's an in charge quote. Now, another chicken over the one over there by the garage goes, bark, 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 bark. That means, oh yeah. Bark, 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 bark. And the next, you know, the first one goes, bark, 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 bark. That means I said yeah. Come and knock it off. At which point, chicken number two goes, and they fly together. Very quickly, one chicken retreats hastily. Now we have decided who's the boss among two chickens, haven't we? And the other chickens are watching it. At that point, the winner chicken now stands up on the back porch and goes he is delivering orders to the tribe like for example when the corn comes out I eat first you Fred after me and the Howie you're after me and the Mabel you wait until everybody's through now that's what he's doing well now one chicken there's always one smart you know what chicken who will not take this. At which point that chicken goes... Bark, bark, bark. And the first chicken taken the back goes... Bark, 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 bark. What was that? Bark, 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 bark. I mean, did I hear a smart remark? And then those two go at it. Well, by late that afternoon, peace has settled over the chicken yard. There is no confusion, just like a well-run office. The office boy does not confuse himself for Mr. Bullard. There is a sign on Mr. Bullard's door, right? More than that, Mr. Bullard has stainless steel teeth. <laughs> and Mr. Bullard is Mr. Bullard. So, by afternoon, the chickens have settled down, and now they're happily feeding. Now, occasionally, some chicken may get a smart idea, but not very often. And as long as those chickens continue in that backyard... The 21 chickens have a very well-developed, a very well-established stepping order. Now, this is a little aside point. Once a chicken has been beaten by the head chicken, he doesn't just go down to number two. The next chicken takes him on. And the next one after that, he may go from number two all the way to number 21. So it's pretty humiliating being a chicken. <laughs> Now, what kind of a sound does the number 21 chicken make? Well, generally none. <laughs> That's the quiet chicken you see over there by the shrubs, the skinny one. And the uh, big daddy sits in the middle of a wall, you know, and that means where the hell is the corn? It's five minutes late. That's what that chicken is saying. Do you have a goodie for us in there? No, I think you don't. I have. Speaking of corn here, we have kasha. <laughs> I don't know how I... It's hard to believe that a food like kasha can be hundreds of years old. You know, I sit around often just... I can't believe that. 
You know, it often hits me. I say to myself, how can Kasha be hundreds of years old? Well, uh, I'm continually surprised at that. I really am. And uh, I'm, I'm especially surprised to find that Kasha, Wolf's Kasha in particular, is older than all the rest. I mean, it's a magnificent Kasha that stands like that number one chicken amid the flock of Kasha chickens. That is a, that is a Kasha among Kashas. And in fact, there's an old slogan that says that if Kasha was to go out and buy Kasha, they would buy Wolf's Kasha because Wolf's Kasha is simply Wolf's Kasha. So <laughs> the next time you're in your supermarket, you look for Wolf's Kasha. And by the way, you send for the Wolf's Kasha cookbook. They have all fantastic things how to make Wolf's Kasha Manhattans, how you can make Kasha meatloafs, how you can make Kasha popsicles. It's just great. You just send that. Uh, you just send your name and address here to WR, and we'll send you the Kasha cookbook, right? Plain brown wrapper, and nobody will know you're a Kasha cuckoo. Hey, dee 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 dee. We've done Bridgetown. Uh, I think we ought to do a nice little uh, elegant wine spot here. If you'd like to enjoy fine French wines with your meals, but think it's too complicated and too expensive, you know the way a lot of you guys out in the Bronx think. Well, you think again. All you have to remember about French wine. Now listen to this. One name. Oh, I've forgotten it. Oh, um, <laughs> I just couldn't help that. <laughs> oh, my. Uh, you just go in and ask for Alexis Lachine. And old Al will come out from behind the counter there. He's, uh, he's got these red wines, the white wines, and the rosés, and they all come in a beautiful bottle. And uh, once you bring those Alexis Lachine wines home, all of your friends, including Holly, will be calling you a wine expert. Hey, a wine expert! And uh, you just serve that at your elegant table in Flushing, and it's just going to go down groovy. That's Alexis Lachine Wines in the beautiful bottle. Elegance without expense. And it's imported, Alexis Lachine Wines, by Bass Charrington Vintners of New York. Would you please sing for me, please? Alexis Lachine, Alexis Lachine. I like that elegance, isn't it? A little touch Alexis of elegance. Lachine, Lachine. Lachine. I like the way she does it. Like, you know, this French waiter came along and he gave her a little tweak. Ah! <laughs> uh, Shepard, you're no damn good. By the way, uh, uh, speaking of birds, I have a note here from the September 1972 Linguarian, which is a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a magazine for official psychologists. Victor Frankel, the psychiatrist, tells a story of a man who tried to teach his parrot to call him Daddy. <laughs> Even after repeated threats and much rough treatment, the parrot would not come across, would not call him Daddy. Well, finally, in punishment, the man put the parrot in the chicken house overnight. And there he found his... <laughs> He's all right. You're not going to act like a parrot. You're a damn chicken. He put him in the chicken house. <laughs> and in the morning, he found his parrot surrounded by chicken feathers throttling the last chicken. And he's hollering as he's throttling him, Call me Daddy! <laughs> I just thought you ought to know there's just bad stuff everywhere you look. <laughs> uh, now think carefully about that. All right, please. Would you please give me a little more of that, please? Come on, give me something elegant, Joe. Yeah, give me give me my music. There you go, Joe. I knew I'd catch you off base, but God, where do you hear this chicken? <laughs> please, sneaking in. That's it. Buck, 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 buck,
See, he's getting warmed up. See, he's hearing this thing. You notice he's got a fantastic beat? That's the one thing he has got. It's very subtle. He doesn't just come on and hit the beat there. Let's see. we got another uh, general tire we ought to lay on you, I suppose. Since uh, we, uh, you know, after all, that's what we're here. Ah! Oh, the studio's on fire! Ah! <laughs> Did you know that that's the way they, they made the sound of fire in radio? Let's show them how that works. Watch. Uh, in the days of the uh, sound effects men, the way a fire was made to sound like a fire, or at least theoretically, was like this. They... Now, you got to have somebody... You know that, that there were people in, the, in that field, in fact, even today, in the, in the movie soundtrack. You know that a lot of actresses can't scream well. No, I'm, t- I'm very serious. They cannot scream well. And, and uh, there are people in Hollywood who dub screams for actresses. Yeah, a lot of people scream. It sounds like a crook. Or, ah! And that's no good, you know. That's right. You've got to have a fantastic scream, you know. So give me a little echo chamber there, you know. <laughs> now that, friends, is a scream. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> that was the sound of the sales department. But they hear Shepard's going to try another general tire spot here. No, that's actually the sound of the audience. Uh, let's see. We have here... It's all time, friends, for you to get set for a rugged winter driving ahead. And if you're going to do that right, you're going to have to do it the general tire way. Pick up these fantastic winter cleats, General's Rugged, four-rib snow tire. Backed by this promise, you go in snow or General pays the tow. And if you want white walls, they're only a few dollars more per tire. You mean you can get white wall snow tires? Now, that's elegant. That's really elegant. That's like getting a set of platinum skid chains. I mean, that's, uh, you know, with insert uh, little uh, zircon set in the side. You know, that's what I call elegance. Yes, sir. That's like getting a set of uh, alligator skin galoshes. You know, <laughs> that's kind of elegant. Now, if you'd like to, to you know, really go into this uh, snow tire thing the right way, don't forget their slogan, you go in snow or general pays the tow. Now, if you live in uh, Long Island City, you see Jack Crow at General Tire Service, Northern Boulevard at 38th Street. That's in Long Island City. Yes, sir. 
Oh, I, by the way, that chicken, I, I just have to tell you that I'm not kidding you, that, that, that I did get a call from an agency, and the agency wants uh, Clarence to go to work. Next spring, Clarence, you know, he's getting in shape now. He's sitting over there in the nest, and the, he's working on his cluck. And uh, yeah, you don't just uh, you don't just uh, head a major uh, a major campaign, you know you don't do it lightly. And uh, when when I got this call, I thought to myself, gee, you know, my mother would flip. You know what she used to say? I I would sit. Now I I I don't know why this is so, but I would sit at the dinner table. Now where did I first hear this chicken? I'll tell you how I got got involved with chickens. You know you want to know how Shepherd got to be so so conversant with the way chickens talk? Well, we had this slob family once that moved next door to us. And they had chickens. They had pigs. They had a little brown, black animal that lived under the truck. Nobody knew quite what it was. And I used to look through the fence at these chickens, see? And these chickens would walk over and look at me. And I'd have a Milky Way bar or something in my hand. You know, chickens would bark, 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 Well, I got so I was talking back to them. I really used to. They'd go, bark, 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 bark. And they'd come running. And I, I discovered that by changing my inflection, I could really get them bugged. Yeah, I was like a rival chicken showing up, you know, and I am challenging the head chicken. I go, bark, bark! Like, you think you're so smart, come over on this side of the fence and I'll knock your hat off, you know? Bark, bark, bark! Well, this went on for, you know, months. And then I would sit at the kitchen table, see, and my mother would give us the meatloaf. And I'd look down at the meatloaf and I'd go, bark, 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 bark! I mean, what kind of mess is it? Bark, 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 bark. She said, now, you, will you stop that? She said, you are just getting on my nerves with that. Now, I've heard enough of that. Now, stop that silly chicken sound. And then she'd go in, she'd be on the phone, see? And she's talking to her friend. You know, she's talking to this lady. Yes, well, I'll tell you. I was just talking. I was just saying the other day. And I'd walk past her. Bark, 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 bark. And she'd turn and give me this bad luck. It sounded like we had chickens living in the living room where the phone was. <laughs> and so, ever since that time, uh, the sound of chickens have been the sound of music to me. And uh, I've kept Clarence deeply concealed within my breast. And occasionally he'll pop out. Like when a particular revolting memo will come down from, say, Mr. Brown's office. You know, I'll look at that thing and I'll go, bark, 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 bark. I'm right back there in Company K. I got my gas mask on, and he's flipping. What sometimes I point it up at the uh, at the uh, at the air conditioning unit, see, and he carries it right up to the office. And they can hear it all up there. I saw I heard a chicken. Yeah, speaking. Of, this is W O R New York. You stay tuned for Lester Smith and the news. 